Hey guys, you know what time it is, noon on a Friday, so don't worry, you're not too late for episode 28 of the Ticket Liquidator Lunch Break Podcast. I want to start off with a little bit of breaking news, not many details on it at this point, but just saw a post from Rihanna on Instagram about the diamond ball, and all it said below was featuring Kendrick Lamar and Calvin Harris and hosted by Dave Chappelle, so it sounds like a very exclusive party, maybe the benefits from it will go to the hurricane victims in Texas and Florida and the Caribbean islands, but we'll wait and see about more details on that. Just wanted to send that your guys' way. We're going to do some on sales as we usually do. Obviously, have to start with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, the most popular Christmas concert in recent years. Everybody tries to get their hands on these tickets. They're one of a kind. The show is incredible, so look out because they're definitely going to come to a city near you. The tour is massive in 2017. Next up is Bob Dylan. After releasing a 2017 album back in March called Triplicate, Bob Dylan embarks on yet another tour with his band. Modest Yahoo is part reggae, part ska, and he's beardless. I don't know if he has any true fans out there, but his look is way different from when he broke onto the scene almost a decade ago, but the music is still the same, so that tour should be pretty good. Wilco has a run of three shows as of now. Expect more to go on sale for that. Dead & Company is back with another run for John Mayer, and they've become an extremely popular band over the past couple of years. See, there's a heavy metal band with a huge following. They're also going on tour. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band still going strong. A 2017 tour for them as well. And then to finish it up, we have comedian John Mulaney. He's actually one half of the Oh Hello production on Broadway with friend Nick Kroll. This is actually just a run of shows for his stand-up comedy. He's hilarious. A lot of self-deprecating humor. Definitely go check him out if you're a fan of the stand-up comedy genre. And to close it out, UFC 217. Wow, what a card. Not only is it going down at MSG, it features three title fights. The return of George St. Pierre. He's going to be fighting for the middleweight title against Michael Bisping. Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw are huge rivals in the bantamweight division. That one should end pretty bloody. And then in the women's strawweight division, you've got Joanna Jacek fighting Rose Namajunas. That'll be Rose's first opportunity to win the strawweight title. But good luck, Rose, because nobody has been able to beat Joanna in recent years. Let's switch it up to singles. Sam Smith is back, people, and I like to compare him as the masculine counterpart to Adele because they both have excelled in their careers, staying true to themselves, but also doing an interesting version of pop that you don't see as much now. The pop ballad with such an intense vocal range that I can only compare it to her. And he's back with Too Good at Goodbyes. The really exciting thing about this song is that it's been a few years since we've heard from him. He went through vocal surgery, he got very fit, and is definitely a new and improved Sam Smith, which is really exciting. But people were wondering, was he gonna try to stray more to a overproduced pop style or was he going to stick to his ballads and people can rest easy because he definitely stuck to that wheelhouse however it's not like it's the same old same old there's a gospely vibe to it which i really love always fall hard for a gospel chorus and it's just exciting to see him back expect an album expect a tour and we'll definitely have all the details for you on that as they come up i was definitely going to say kudos to the choir on sam smith that's a really nice touch Really well put together song, and if you're going to make a comeback after a couple years, you got to make it with a band. Gucci Mane and The Weeknd, this one definitely got me through hump day this week. It's a great song. Gucci Mane and The Weeknd are currently on tour together right now for The Legend of the Fall, the Starboy Tour for The Weeknd. It's just a great song. It's less than three minutes, but it gets right to the point. The song centers around whether or not a new girl in their life 
is why they're spending the time and money on them. The beat has the weekend written all over it, and it allows him to stay true to his R&B roots. But when he brings that rapping aspect to a song, I think he just shines through the most. I love hearing him sing, but when he raps, I think he takes his career and talents to a whole nother level. Obviously, he's not going to shine, outshine Gucci Mane on his own album. This song is going to be featured on the upcoming album, Mr. Davis. It did get pushed back a little bit, unfortunately, for fans of Gucci Mane. But still, this song will definitely hold them over. And I've got some bonus points for the weekend. Uh, he shouts out Drake in the beginning, giving Drake's Whiskey, Virginia Black, a shout out. And then Nipsey Hussle, an L.A. rapper who garners a lot of respect in the rap community, also gets a shout out from the weekend. So all around great song from these two. Switching it up to one that Nate and I were a little less fond of this week, Love. Now, I originally, my eye just went to it because Ray Shremmer, they're obviously such a big hip-hop duo, and the song in general just kind of fell flat for me. When I saw this one and they were going to be featured together, I got really excited. These guys have the potential to make an incredible song. I was hoping for that softer, slower R&B song, kind of one that... Flex Swaley singing, Slim Jimmy's rapping, and I Love McConan's ability to produce a really good song, but we really got none of that. It was auto-tuned all the way throughout. The beat was weird and up-tempo, uh, a lot of cymbals and clapping, just music you wouldn't associate with uh, these three guys. So swing and a miss uh, for them. It's, it's unfortunate. I was hoping for more. Maybe this won't be the last time we see them work together, and it'll be a little bit better in the future, but as of now, they came out flat with love. It seems like a little bit of a wannabe jogging song that didn't actually get there. One of Ray Shremmer's strengths is that they kind of have this eerie, psychedelic hip-hop vibe. You talk about Black Beatles, and this was just too much of a push in a different direction. Let's switch it up to a song that we did love, SZA with Quicksand. This actually features on an HBO show, Insecure, so this is not just a random single by her. It was featured on their soundtrack, and it could have easily gone into control. It was totally in her wheelhouse, again, being so blunt and honest, dissecting love and relationships and self-worth. Wasn't my favorite if it was going to be thrown into the control mix, but on its own definitely did the show justice. That has the elements of funk, elements of pop, elements of R&B, all things right in Scissor's wheelhouse. I was interested to see what you would think of it because coming from your perspective, it means much more when you compliment a song by her. But she's definitely beginning to carve out a nice career for herself and doing it all under the radar. She's never in the news for something negative. Uh, she's just being exactly who she is and prospering, so that's always great to see and really refreshing in the music industry. The next song, Foo Fighters. Their album drops today, Concrete and Gold, and they had their last single leading up to it, The Line. I really liked it. I think the album in general seems to be leaning towards this mix of the hard rock that they love and then also a little bit of a pop, a pop flair, which I want to talk about. Greg Kirsten is actually the producer, and I don't think producers get enough credit in general, and there's something that's being more and more talked about, I think, as the industry progresses. But Greg Kirsten also produced Adele. Beyonce, Sia, these huge pop female powerhouses. So he is a huge name. And to have him producing a Foo Fighters album, people were scratching their heads, you know, going, well, I mean, they're pretty rock, you know. He's coming from Nirvana. Dave Grohl really likes to stay in that all-American rock wheelhouse. But I don't really think they stray too far from it. They definitely are balancing between two major genres, and it's an interesting combination there. I really like this one. Dave Grohl's back. He's a legendary musician obviously transcends generations with his work with Nirvana and Foo Fighters. Uh, nothing was forced on this. No unnecessary camos, no auto-tune, 
nothing like that. Like we're seeing these new or these old artists trying to mold to the new wave, the new generation of music. And I think this is a step in the right direction for Foo Fighters. And the song itself had a really great message. I think there's a lyric in there. We fight for our lives because everything's on the line this time. And I think that just kind of speaks to where we are generationally. There's a lot going on in the world, and the Foo Fighters are very conscious of that. So good song all around. Speaking of pop, Demi Lovato, her album's coming out soon, and she dropped another single, You Don't Do It For Me Anymore. I have to say I really love this new direction she's going in. Always one to count on for a clap back, really powerhouse song because of her vocal range. Speaking of the Adele's and whatnot. But this one kind of slows it down in a really cool way, and it really puts her at the spotlight. And I really liked it. I think that she's kind of scaling back on any of the production elements of it and really just putting her voice on the table, and it's really paying off for her. You know exactly how I feel about Demi Lovato. Extremely talented. This is another great song. I love how they can stretch their vocal muscle on songs to the point where the their voice is almost becoming raspy, but it still sounds good. You hit it right on the head with the Adele comparison, and I think it's just going to be a huge end to 2017 for Demi Lovato as well because not only did she sing the national anthem at the Mayweather-McGregor fight that got her national acclaim, but she's got an album on the way, and every single we've heard from that has been wildly successful. Critics have nothing but good things to say about it, and there's got to be a tour coming soon. So whether it's end of 2017 or early 2018, this is far from the last we've heard from Demi Lovato. Kelly Clarkson, another pop female vocal powerhouse. We haven't heard from her in a while. She's obviously gotten married and had children, but Love So Soft she's back with, and it immediately reminded me of throwback Christina Aguilera Candyman, except a less successful version. It's not that it's not fun, and it reminded me a little bit of Julia Michaels' kind of sass and flair with it, but didn't do anything crazy for me. Yeah, shout out to Kelly Clarkson for undoubtedly being the most successful American Idol contestant uh, 15 years later to still be talking about her is pretty crazy. Most of those people got a taste of the spotlight and crashed and burned immediately. So to see Kelly Clarkson uh, thriving in the music industry years later is pretty good. The one thing I will note, uh, her music isn't my cup of tea, but the visuals for this track are amazing. If you ever get a chance to take a look at the music video, I recommend it because she's getting really creative. So I think she's trying to find new ways to stay relevant. Uh, and it's working with Love So Soft. Not the best song, but uh, she definitely has some highlights in there. One major remix that just dropped Thursday that we're super excited about, Lord with Homemade Dynamite. That's actually my favorite song, I think, off of melodrama in general. But she had Khalid, Post Malone, and SZA all on this. I'm not a huge remix person. I'll be the first one to say, like reading a book and then seeing the movie, it never quite lives up to the expectations of the original. But I love the three of them, and I love their different styles, and they were incorporated pretty well. I also appreciated how Lord kept the beginning of the song just about the same that it normally would, because it sticks true to the original one. Quite the all-star cast for that remix. Definitely one that I want to listen to a little bit more. I know we put it on right before we got on the air, but uh, just very, very good. And it's a beat that all of them really performed well on. They didn't have to try to be an artist that they weren't. I mean, Post Malone is one of my favorite artist right now he's just dominating the rap game by being exactly who he is i know we obviously just talked about SZA, and then lord and khalid are two of the breakout artists of this year no doubt so all four of them together none of them had to make any crazy changes none of them had to try too hard it just is a seamless transition and it could have been right on her album as features it didn't have to be a remix it didn't even sound like one 
And I think we're going to close on a song called Prosper by Russ. It dropped yesterday. Really cool track from him. Uh, piano beat. Obviously that same message that Russ always delivers, how really is, how refreshing he is to the rap game. I know he's making waves and headlines in the past week for an interesting episode of Everyday Struggle on Complex. He called out the host, Nadesco Alexis, and DJ Academics. It was a really interesting conversation. So if you're tired of hearing me talk about Russ, just give it a listen because I promise you won't be disappointed. He delivered again with Prosper this week. The album that we want to review for this week, Jack Johnson dropped All the Light Above It too. Everybody knows Jack Johnson as the laid-back, easygoing, you know, better-together singer. And he didn't stray too far from that on this album, but what I will say is that this album came with a lot more urgency and a little bit more rock grit, and it was kind of nice to see him switch it up a little bit. It's been a few years since he released an album. He has such a great story of growing up, being a surfer, being so good that he was pro and then hurting himself really badly and deciding, well, I really like guitar, so why don't I try to be a musician? And I feel like that's just a very Jack Johnson way to live life. You always have the kind of easygoing ones, such as songs like Sunsets for Somebody Else, Big Sur, and relating to a national park out in California. But then the first single, My Mind is for Sale, certainly has that political lean to it that I really appreciated because he's super eco-friendly and him and his wife kind of go out of their ways to promote that in their lifestyle and in their careers. The song Fragments is from a documentary, The Smog of the Sea, in which he participated in that's all about the pollution due to his love of surfing. So that in general, I think, really sums him up as a pretty wholesome individual, and it showed, his opinion showed a little harder in this one. Yeah, the return of Jack Johnson gives us a little bit of everything. Uh, He's just living proof that paradise doesn't always guarantee happiness. He's a retired surfer, like Jenna said, living in Hawaii. So on the surface, it seems like life couldn't get much better, but his music always gives us that melancholy feel. Not that he's depressed, but he just covers so many different emotions, so many different aspects of life. I think from top to bottom, it was a really good album. People were expecting a lot because he hadn't heard from him in over four years. So he definitely delivers. And Jack Johnson is just one of those kind of artists that you have to be in the mood to listen to. And he puts you in a lot of different moods once you start listening to him. So kudos to him for a successful return. I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. All right. I think it's time to switch it up to sports. We have a lot, a lot going on this week in the sports world with football starting, fights coming up this weekend. But let's start with a recap of week one of the NFL after all that hype and buildup certainly didn't disappoint as we talked about last week with the Pats winning or the Pats not winning. See, I even said it because everyone thought that's what was going to happen. Pats losing in the first game of the season and then we have the New York Giants and Dallas Cowboys I know Nate will get into that but some highlights as well the Seahawks and the Packers the Packers absolutely dominated the Seahawks no surprise for that the offensive line of the Seahawks really didn't live up to expectations which actually relates to the Giants and the Cowboys game as well Another big note, the Jags had such a sacking run that it was really exciting to see them against the Texans. Not a team that I would have picked to go far this season, but it was always exciting when you see a little bit of an underdog rise. The Jacksonville Jaguars with 10 sacks, they're the number one fantasy defense after week one. I don't think anybody could have predicted that. A couple things Jenna touched on there. Uh, The Packers rebounded after a weird start. Aaron Rodgers is almost invincible at Lambeau Field. He threw an early interception that got returned for a touchdown, but then called back after an ejection by the Seahawks player who committed a penalty. It was a really confusing start to the game, but they held the Seahawks to a field goal. The score was 3-0 at half. 
and then slowly but surely the Packers kind of pulled away in a game that not most people expected. I think with Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, they wanted to, to see a shootout, but they got a 17-9 to defensive struggle. The Packers came out on top. And yes, unfortunately, the Dallas Cowboys are a machine once again. It looks like Dak Prescott has matured so much in the offseason. He was a great rookie quarterback, but he's even better in his second year. He had such a control over the game. The New York Giants are easily one of the best defenses in the NFL, and Dak took his time. He was never under pressure. He methodically moved the ball, and the Cowboys were able to come away with an easy 19-3 win. The Giants looked anemic without star wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Couldn't really move the ball. They got to the red zone once. They ended up actually getting to the five-yard line, but from there they only moved backwards and had to settle for a field goal. So a long, long night for Giants fans. It's going to be interesting to see. The Giants don't play again till Monday night. Will Odell Beckham Jr.'s ankle be healthy? Because without him, they are a very bad team, it looks like. Uh, other highlights from week one, we've got Vance Joseph of the Denver Broncos. He's a rookie head coach. Uh, they squeaked out a 24-21 win thanks to some special teams. The Chargers had a field goal with as time expired, and the Denver Broncos were actually able to block that, and they held on for the win 24-21. And then Monday Night Football was really interesting. It had a little bit of drama. Adrian Peterson, one of the best running backs of all time, was released by the Minnesota Vikings in the offseason. They drafted rookie running back Dalvin Cook, who actually in his debut outperformed Adrian Peterson in his debut. I think it was something like 127 yards for Dalvin Cook to 103 for Adrian Peterson. And the highlight we saw of AP was actually him steaming on the sidelines, yelling at his coach, Sean Payton. Both of them said that it was nothing. It was purely football strategy that got them in a little bit of an argument. But AP is an older running back. He got outshined by his by his successor, excuse me, and had six carries for 18 yards. So not the return to Minnesota that Adrian Peterson envisioned. And week two preview for the NFL, I basically broke it down into teams that fans need to see step up and teams that, though they did perform really great in week one, still need to continue to prove themselves because they were definitely underdogs. So for teams that need to step up, the Giants, the Pats, and sadly the Cardinals as well, all really big powerhouse teams that didn't perform like they should have week one. For teams that need to continue to perform, the Packers, definitely a favorite, but still need to keep proving themselves. The Jags, and surprisingly, the Bills, that ended up coming back and beating the Jets 21-12. Definitely not a game that was on anyone's top of anyone's list, unless you were a Jets or Bills fan, but it was still kind of exciting to see them win. Okay, and also going into Pats versus Saints, that's one of the games coming up. Again, Pats fans really need to see Brady show up a little bit harder. It's going to be difficult because QB Drew Brees is no joke. However, I think the Pats are going to pull this out. Another really big game coming up, the NFC Championship game for last year is being repeated, Packers versus Falcons. Yeah, we can start right there. That's actually going to be the opening of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, this beautiful new stadium that cost millions, if not billions of dollars to construct. It's Atlanta's new home. They really need to come out with some fire because they barely beat the Chicago Bears, a team that many people thought we're going to finish with maybe one or two wins on the season. There's a lot of turnover in Chicago, a brand new quarterback, so expectations were low in Chicago, and the Atlanta Falcons needed a goal line stand. I think a lot of 
people are ready for a shootout because you've got Matt Ryan, you've got Aaron Rodgers, and they're going to be playing inside a dome in prime time. So expect a lot of points. I think the stars of that game are going to be Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers' favorite target, and Julio Jones, the favorite target for Matt Ryan. So expect big numbers from those guys if you've got them in fantasy this week. One more note on the New England-New Orleans game. There's actually a little bit of history. This is going to be another shootout. They can add their totals because this will be the first matchup in NFL history with two starting quarterbacks having over 400 touchdown passes on their resume. Tom Brady and Drew Brees, two of the best to ever do it. Expect a very high-scoring game on Sunday in that one. Two more I wanted to hit on were the Minnesota Vikings and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Minnesota Vikings have one of the best defenses in the league going against the Steelers' prolific offense that features Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant, and Le'Veon Bell. They kind of sputtered in week one. Antonio Brown had a huge game, but the other two were nowhere to be found. So we'll see if the Steelers can kind of bounce back and go up against a tough Minnesota defense. And then Monday Night Football, Eli Manning needs to step up at home and defend home turf against the Detroit Lions because Matt Stafford showed out last week and Jenna hinted that the Lions shut down the Arizona Cardinals at home in week one. So where's the Giants offense? Because it's a milk carton offense right now. It definitely went missing. One guy needs to step up and make a play. Unfortunately, it's looking like the defense is going to have to be the offense for the Giants, and that's not the best formula to win in the NFL. So only time will tell, and we cannot wait to see that one. Just going to touch on some college football this week. After beating Auburn last week, Clemson is facing Louisville this coming weekend, and it's the big game to talk about. This is actually probably going to decide who represents the ACC in the college football playoff. Florida State had an inside shot at it with their preseason ranking and the return of DeAndre Francois. But against Alabama, the defense was just too physical for him, and an unfortunate injury is going to sideline Francois for the rest of the year, and ultimately Florida State just won't be able to compete throughout the rest of the season. Clemson and Louisville are two of the top dogs. They had an epic matchup last year. I believe the score was 42-36, to 36, and Louisville came up three yards short from a game-winning touchdown. I believe it was a 4th and 12. Lamar Jackson threw a pass, and the wide receiver just couldn't get the first down marker. So a heartbreaking loss for Louisville. But a lot of turnover for Clemson, so Louisville's got to go into this one as the favorite. They've got the defending Heisman winner. Clemson's defense is very stout. But Lamar Jackson, this is really his time to shine because winning the Heisman is one thing in college, but if you can lead your team to a national championship, that's really where the stars are made. So Lamar Jackson's got a lot to prove. He had an amazing performance against North Carolina with six touchdowns last Saturday, just incredible. And he actually has the most games in college football history featuring a 40-yard run and a 40-yard pass for a touchdown. So that's just going to tell you how dynamic of a player Lamar Jackson is. All right, I think we're going to switch it up to a really huge boxing match happening this Saturday. We went on and on about Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather, except the difference is, is that that was two fighters coming from two completely different worlds where this is the absolute best of boxing. Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, huge history there and really exciting to see. The real, what I want to talk about first is the history of actually the two of them, not only in the ring professionally, but when Golovkin actually first came and started training at Big Bear in California, Alvarez was actually a sparring partner of his, and he was someone that helped him train for the Mexican aggression style of boxing. He comes from what used to be the Soviet Union, so Eastern European style is very technical, and the aggression style that Alvarez is known for is something that Golovkin takes into his training style because it's a good mix of the two. So it's kind of cool to see them go back all the way 
into 2011 to now. My bet is on Triple G just because of the history there and just reading interviews of stuff about him. I think that in a way he has a calm demeanor outside of the ring that Alvarez doesn't have as much of. So I always kind of side with that. But Nate's definitely the expert on that one. Well, that was a nugget of knowledge I wasn't even aware of. I did not know that Golovkin and Alvarez were sparring partners. So thank you for that, Jenna. In terms of the boxing match itself, these guys are the same but different. If that makes sense, I'll explain it a little bit. They're both power punchers. They're both really well. Uh, they have a game plan, and they're really good at sticking to it. They have really good corners. Uh, they can finish a fight in one punch, or they can slowly but surely just pick away at a fighter. They come at you in a variety of ways. Canelo Alvarez has that more of punch you on the cheek and put you on the canvas, as Gennady Golovkin has the punches to the body that just wear a fighter down. So... We'll see how that plays out in the fight. They're different in the sense that Canelo Alvarez is that young, boisterous fighter with a lot of bravado. He's going to pump out his chest. Uh, he's going to predict the knockout. Gennady Golovkin is more of the calm, cool, elder statesman, the guy that's seen it all, done it all. So he's coming into this fight with all three belts wrapped around his shoulders. He knows what he's accomplished in the sport, and he's 37-0, and 0, as Canelo Alvarez is 49-1-1. One and, one. and there's a lot of talk about Canelo Alvarez's age being a benefit. He's eight years younger than Gennady Golovkin. But I want to talk about the efficiency of Golovkin really quick because almost 90% of the time he knocks his fighters out. His fights rarely go past the fourth or fifth round. I think on average the ending of his fight is the middle of the fourth round as Alvarez is usually fighting well into the sixth. And over their career, Canelo Alvarez has fought almost 200 more rounds than Gennady Golovkin. So you get the sense that inside the ring, Golovkin's an assassin. He knows exactly where he needs to exploit his opponent, and he does that. Alvarez is really the grinder, the, the close calls, the split decisions, the majority decisions. So we'll really see. This fight is very, very interesting. I can see it going either way. I'm rooting for Golovkin because I would love to see him retain that perfect record as of right now. All we can hear about is Floyd Mayweather going 50-0. and and unfortunately, I think Golovkin is much too old to even come close to that record. But for him to finish his career undefeated and to have never fought Floyd Mayweather, it'll leave a lot of fans wondering who would win if those two ever squared off. The last person Alvarez fought was actually this year in May, Chavez. And he won something interesting in 2013. He fought Mayweather, who he did lose to, but Mayweather had a nugget of advice for him for this fight that the only way he was going to win was through body punching something that's public so when you talk about an obvious strategy it's probably obvious enough for the public to know but it's going to be interesting to see one if he can pull that off and two whether that strategy is enough for him to win now we're going to switch it up to some unfortunate news in the world of john jones second drug test was positive this is what we feared all along it's what ufc and mma fans did not want to hear but it looks like a suspension is looming for john jones his light heavyweight title is stripped, and it now goes back to Daniel Cormier. And the really unfortunate thing is it's just a bad look for not only Jones but for the whole division of light heavyweight because he was bringing some real staying power back to that division that was lacking it. And now Daniel Cormier is coming off an injury because I know he's going to be the light heavyweight champion again, but he took a couple massive hits to the head in that Johns Jones fight. So we're not going to know if Daniel Cormier is the same fighter until we see him again. And then you've got guys like Alexander Gustafson, who's lost to both Cormier and Jones. You've got Jimmy Manawa, who got embarrassed by the guy that's coming out of nowhere, Volkan Ozdemir. 
and I know it seems like he deserves the title fight as of right now, but to the casual fan, nobody knows that name. He's not going to sell any tickets. Dana White won't just quite give him that title fight yet, so the light heavyweight division really has nowhere to go. But as of now, Daniel Cormier is a champion, and we're waiting to hear how long the John Jones suspension will be because one of the best fighters of all time is going to be marred by this steroid scandal for a long, long time, and it's definitely going to affect the legacy of his career. MLB is going through some crazy streaks recently. Nate and I talked about this a little bit earlier, and he'll get into it more than I will. But the Indians are going on 21 straight wins. Something exciting is that if they reach 26, they'll actually be breaking the MLB record, and they are playing the Royals this coming weekend. It's incredible. It doesn't look like the Indians can lose. They do it in so many different ways. They blow teams out. They win close games. They come from behind. They get an early lead. There's really no formula to beat them right now. And people might forget that they came so, so close to ruining the Chicago Cubs' dream run. They actually lost in Game 7 of the World Series in extra innings. An unforgettable night for everyone involved, for everybody that stayed up to watch that game. Just a crazy story in Cleveland right now. It's a feel-good story, though, because... One of my favorite people in all of baseball is Terry Francona, the ex-Red Sox manager, and he's doing a wonderful job over there in Cleveland. They've got pitching with Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, and then they can do it on offense as well with all-stars Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor. Just a really exciting team to watch. On the other end, however, the Dodgers' invincibility is gone. They once had a stretch this season of going, I think it was 44-6 and six or 43-7 and seven over a 50-game stretch and they were everyone's favorite to win the World Series, but they recently had a double-digit losing streak. I believe they ended it at 11 games, but their invincibility in the National League is gone because in their division, the Diamondbacks are surging, and it's just a wide-open race. You've got the Washington Nationals, you've got the Chicago Cubs, who look like they can make the playoffs, and then the Diamondbacks and Rockies will likely play the Dodgers in the first round, and they are both in the NL West. So if anybody knows the Los Angeles Dodgers, it's those two teams, and that'll be an interesting matchup. Elsewhere, you've got an interesting race in the NL Central. The Milwaukee Brewers are surging and making a run at the Chicago Cubs. They're only two and a half back. And, of course, we cannot forget to mention the AL East. The Red Sox have a slim lead on the New York Yankees. So we'll see how that one plays out. They don't play each other for the rest of the season, so each of them will have to take care of their business and watch the scoreboard and hope for some helpful results because the Red Sox and Yankees is going to come down to the wire. Episode 28 was pretty chock full today, both on the music and sports front. We'll be back next week with episode 29.